Alexandra Quick and the World Away by Inverarity Read by Sam Gabriel Chapter 12 The Grannies Alexandra stood in a wooded glen, not unlike the one she'd just left, except there was no creek nearby. She felt wind blowing against the back of her head, and saw to her left a large valley spread out below, all forested and devoid of highways, power lines, or other construction. Whoa, she said. How did you do that? She hadn't felt the yank or pinch that normally accompanied side-along apparition. She remained solidly on her feet with no disorientation when she arrived, and Granny Pritchard hadn't even touched her. Apparition, Granny Pritchard said. You mean to say you all don't learn about that at Charmbridge Academy? I thought my great-granddaughter was supposed to be getting a fine education at that highfalutin school of magic. The old woman was toying with her, but Alexandra kept her retorts to herself. Before her stood or sat the rest of the grannies, a dozen of them, a collection of wrinkled, judgmental gargoyles, all fixing their eyes on her like something fetched for their examination. Well, she could serve honeyed sarcasm, too. She made an exaggerated curtsy and bowed low. "'How do you do?' she said to the grannies. There was a short silence, and then the oldest of them, or so Alexandra thought, just going by her shrunken apple head appearance, chuckled. It was a ghastly sound that made the hunched-over woman sound as if she might topple over and die on the spot. <laughs> "'This one's as sweet as a mess of pestilence, and wouldn't she like to run scorpions of our skirts? Lousy, lousy, that look!' <laughs> Alexandra tried to compose a neutral expression. Well, here I am. You wanted to talk to me, and I came. The silent scrutiny continued. She wondered if she should twirl around for them. Maybe they were waiting to see if she'd lose her temper or boil over with impatience, so she folded her arms and stared right back at them. Ain't much to look at, said one of the other grannies, the only one who was wearing robes and a black hat, like an old colonial witch, rather than the dresses the others wore. "'But I reckon she does have her father's iron and her mother's fire?' Alexandra asked. "'Do you know my parents?' "'Don't everyone know your father?' asked one of the other grannies. "'Abraham Thorne, the enemy of the Confederation!' Alexandra was not surprised that these women didn't hesitate or flinch at speaking her father's name. "'We know who your mother is, too,' said Granny Pritchard. She spoke in a kindlier voice. "'She ain't one of us.' "'What did they have to do with my being troublesome?' Alexandra asked. "'That's why I'm here, isn't it?' The oldest of the grannies chuckled again. Her eyes were like flickering flames buried in waxy folds of skin, and she leaned forward against a cane, gripping it in hands that were a mass of blue-black knuckles. "'That's your name, right as rain,' she said. "'And what a troublesome you might be!' Alexandra said. "'With all due respect, ma'am, I feel like I've been jerked around since practically the day I became a witch. Maybe longer. And last year you all named me and used constance and forbearance and innocence to do it. And I went along with it because I didn't know what else to do because I had other problems, like seven years to live and finding out about the Deathly Regiment, which I'll bet you already know about. So thanks for helping me talk to the stars above, who told me practically nothing useful. I hope this doesn't sound disrespectful, but... Instead of giving each other knowing looks and mumbling vague things about my fate or some Ozark or legend, why don't you just tell me what I'm supposed to do? What do you want from me? She'd let her anger leak out, and she'd been trying so hard to meet the granny's wise old knowing smirks with cool poise. But none of them seemed offended. The ancient crone before her nodded her head, as if what Alexandra said was perfectly reasonable. Troublesome never minds, nor does it told, the crone said. 
If Lyons was to tell you what to do, you'd just go do contrariwise. I would not, Alexandra said. At least not just to be contrary. You can't tell me that an Ozark nursery rhyme predicts my future and everything about me. That nursery rhyme has been passed down for generations as a collection of nice and accurate sayings, said Granny Pritchard. And while Weans don't know if a seer first set him, Weans have done enough naming and foreseeing since that Weans knows a girl named Troublesome ain't just a fairy tale. So because you named me Troublesome, I'm supposed to be her? Alexandra said. You just pick some girl, some foreign witch, and name her Troublesome so she can fill a role? That ain't quite the way of things, said Granny Pritchard. You ain't the first Troublesome, though I reckon you are the first foreigner. Why me? What am I supposed to do? Alexandra demanded, almost pleaded. We want you to be properly situated, said the older, seated granny. So that when troubles afoot and all hills are set free, you will be where you ought to be. That rhyme again. Alexandra closed her eyes. You're not really going to tell me anything, are you? We want you to open the world away, said Granny Pritchard. Alexandra opened her eyes. Now the grannies were thoughtful, some were pensive. For once, they actually appeared to be waiting for her response. "'Tell me what that is,' she said. "'If you please, ma'am.' The wizened witch studied her from those sunken candle-flame eyes, then said, "'You can call me Granny Ford. The world weighs where all Ozarkers hope to go some day.' "'Sounds like heaven,' Alexandra said. "'I heard about that in vacation Bible school.' "'Insolent child,' one of the other grannies said. Uh, "'You're just being vexatious now,' Granny Pritchard said. "'I'm plumb certain you know we ain't talk about no pearly gates and celestial choirs. "'Weans means a place where them as is still living can go. "'Constance and forbearance told you about accidents, I reckon?' "'Alexandra wondered if admitting that they had would get her friends in trouble. "'Noah said something about them earlier, after the gathering in Clearwater Holler when Mr. Donaldson spoke. "'But he wouldn't tell us much.' "'Oh, no,' Granny Pritchard said. "'I reckon,' said Granny Ford, "'that Miss Quick might like to hear a story.' "'Okay,' Alexandra said dubiously. At this point the grannies all engaged in some sort of silent contest, their aged and steely eyes spearing and reposting, pressing and evading the responsibility offered. Alexandra got the impression they were playing a game of Not It, conducted entirely by unblinking stare and curt chin gestures. Finally one of them said, "'Abigail, why don't you tell it?' Uh, Granny Morrison, ain't been so long since you had your own little ones on your knee, not like the rest of us. This produced a chorus of cackling and dry, dry laughter. Alexandra thought it had been a long time since any of these witches had bounced little ones on their knees. The youngest of them must have been a grandmother before she was born, but Granny Morrison evidently was the most junior among them. The granny with the black robes adjusted her pointy hat so that the brim shaded her eyes. She took a seat on an unoccupied stump and folded her hands in a way that suggested a schoolteacher waiting for rowdy children to pay attention. Alexandra, feeling very much like a kid at story time, but realizing that this might take a while, sat on the ground in front of the grannies, folding her legs inside her robe and arranging it beneath her with some annoyance. Granny Morrison, never once showing any sign that she resented being it, cleared her throat and spoke as if there was an entire audience waiting for her, and not merely Alexandra. <coughs> It was a long time ago, not long after Weans came to the New World, but before we set out on the road west to the Ozarks. Back then, Weans was newly arrived in Appalachia, 
and we steamed at the most beautiful land in all creation. We built our homes in the hollers of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and lived apart from the wizarding world, and for the most part from each other, except the occasional play party or wedding, Wiens was rat boonish and liked it that way. There was Injuns living there, too, but it said we didn't bother them none, and they learned to leave us be likewise. The little people also lived throughout the hills, and theirs was a bit more bothersome. Sometimes theirs was helpful, and sometimes not, but Wiens coped with them. There was also Lamias and Rougarous, raven mockers and wampus cats, stone giants and horned serpents, and other fell critters. But that was the same as in the old world of four wizards cleared about a civilized lands. Wiens was still witches and wizards, the old world, so Wiens feared no creatures of the dark. Well, come a time that the grannies had anticipated since the crossing, more folk from the old world arrived, wizards and muggles alike. They came on ships, and not many wizards amongst them, because most wizards did not favor months at sea with muggles. But there was a few, mostly half-bloods and muggle-borns. There was also wandless charlatans and warlocks in exile for practicing dark arts. And there was them who'd never had schooling in witchcraft and wizardry, because of the taint of muggle blood, or giant or goblin or undine. Because there weren't many pure-blood families in the old world what wasn't dallying outside their lines. And the more theyans did carry on about pure blood, the more likely someone was Abigail, said one of her peers in a dry voice. There ain't no need to dwell on wickedness. Weans all know the old world was a nest of shameful, sordid disappointment. That's why Weans left. Granny Morrison was visibly annoyed at the interruption. Well, you are a sour persimmon, Honoria Sawyer. I'm learning the child some history she ain't gonna hear in school. There's a passel of things she won't learn in school that she needn't learn from us neither. Excuse me, Alexandra said, but I know what dallying means. And by that I mean I know where babies come from, seriously. Though she had to admit the idea of wizards dallying with giants, goblins, and undines put some rather incredible, not particularly welcome images in her head. Granny Sawyer's spectacles flashed in Alexandra's direction. Are you under the misapprehension that Ozarker gals don't know where babies come from? That hate the point. I will get to the point. Even I may continue without starting your drawers, Honoria said Granny Morrison. "'Please do go on, Abigail,' murmured Granny Ford in a wearied voice. The Ancient One's head was sagging as if the weight of it was becoming too much for her neck, and Alexandra worried she might just pitch forward, but the old woman's eyes, still fixed on her, had lost none of their brightness. Granny Morrison sniffed and continued. "'Anyhow, here in America any sixth son could become the only wizard in a village.' and claim pure-blood ancestry back to Merlin, who was to say different. Most pure-bloods in the Confederation is descended from mountebanks, muggle-borns, sorcerers, squibs, warlocks, and hedge-wizards. The dishonored and the disreputable fleeing from ministries of magic or on account of the old world not being big enough for them. So they come to the new world, and they created a wizarding world here, and pretty soon there was a governor-general and territories and pure-blood families high levitating themselves as the elect of society. Now, as Muggles became more numerous in Appalachia, we just didn't make much never mind about it, because Muggles is easy to hide from. Also, though them as goes on about pure-blood won't admit it, there was some mingling with the newcomers, who was boonish and contemptuous of their civilized kin, and preferred to be isolated, just as we did. Pretty soon there was ties between all the families of Appalachia, 
regardless of magic, that was where the Confederation took an interest in us. And they has demanded we pay tithes and follow Confederation law. And we has looked at their Confederation, and it was wicked. As wicked as any law in the old world. And we has wanted not to do with it. But we has could see that we was already outnumbered. And there was more wizards coming to the new world all the time. And too many muggles about for us to hide. So we has talked about leaving our homes, lone as we was, for a place where the Confederation wouldn't bother us. Now... The first idea was to go west, where the Confederation wasn't yet, and the only muggles was wild Injuns. The Injuns had magic no old world has kenned, that had some folks feared, as Williams hain't had no disputes with Injun wizards for generations, but Williams reckoned maybe we'd work out things peaceable. But we grannies, well, Williams knowed right enough that Williams could go west till we reach the place where the sun does set. And still the dagged-damned confederation would follow. Or we'd find some other folk to contend with. There was no place in all this world, we said, where we could be alone forever. And that's when some wise granny, whose name is lost to us, suggested we leave this world behind entire. Now, it was known that there is other lands, such as the lands below, and the lands beyond, and the lands where powers dwell. And there's some has said there is such lands beyond counting, which I understand is studied in highfalutin colleges today, but has been known to wizards for ages so. That augur-eyed granny said, why should weans not find a world of our own, where weans can be truly away from this wicked world and never be bothered again? Well, there was two problems with that idea, and weans ain't quite solved either one just yet. First is that whilst weans have sought to withdraw from this world since afore we left the old world, it's one thing to talk about leaving this world behind and another to actually do it, especially when you have allowed ties to muggles and furners to encumber you over the years. So there's those who is eager to leave and always has been and is most fired about urging everyone to dissociate from furners entirely, saying weans oughtn't have no truck with anyone who would hold us to this world. The second is that there is those who hain't quite so eager, or maybe just after so many generations, they ins have forgot why we ins left the old world and stay apart today. They ins are content to live in our hollers, and hope outsiders will leave us be, which they never will. Steadfasters they call themselves, but we ins call them stay-behinds, and exodens sometimes call them worse things. Paul Ozarkers won't raise a wall against other Ozarkers. This ruction has split us ever so. You, grannies, you want to leave this world behind, Alexandra said. A tiny froth of anger bubbled inside her. The Pritchards are steadfasters. She looked accusingly at Granny Pritchard. Is that what you think of your great-granddaughters, that they're heretics, cowards, not good Ozarkers for wanting to stay behind? You are hearing a mighty abbreviated version, Miss Quick, said Granny Pritchard mildly. There is particulars we do not care to explain to you, as they are neither your nevermind nor pertinent. But how do you know Carlton's and four parents want to stay behind? That silenced Alexandra. Do you mind if I continue, Missy? asked Granny Morrison archly. Are you going to get to the point? Alexandra grumbled. What does all this have to do with Troublesome? I'm getting there, Granny Morrison snapped. Wicked child, muttered one of the other grannies. The weight of their disapproving stare might have withered even Alexandra if she weren't wondering if it was true that her Ozarker friends would leave this world behind if given the chance. Granny Morrison cleared her throat. 
there's a story told about Troublesome. And if it ain't true, it happened to someone, and maybe Troublesome just got blamed for it. Alexandra knew this was how most Troublesome stories started. This seems to be their excuse for blaming Troublesome for everything bad that happened in Ozarker Tales. One sunny summer day, whilst all us here in the Ozarks was discussing the Muggle problem and the Confederation problem, Troublesome went a-walking in the mountains by her lonesome as she was wont to do, never you mind at all about what concerned anyone else. That day, Troublesome came upon a hill dwarf. Now, as everyone knows, hill dwarves is meaner and goblins and wickeder and a one-eyed warlock. But Troublesome greeted him courteously. "'Good morning,' she said. "'The weather's fine, ain't it? "'What be so fine about it?' snapped the dwarf. "'Why, it's sunny and warm and not a cloud in the sky,' declared Troublesome. "'Tis a plumb fine day for walking or picking huckleberries or evading chores.' "'Be it a terrible day for my kind,' said the dwarf, "'as we prefer darkness and cold, "'and would not I be out in this blinded sun "'if not for dire necessity?' "'Why do tell?' said Troublesome, "'because she was curious, "'and never minded her own weeds, "'but was wont to poke into others. "'If do not I deliver this sack of rocks "'to the next mountain over, "'will there be terrible trouble and calamity?' "'said the dwarf, "'and indeed he'd slung over his shoulder "'a bulged sack,' which looked right heavy. The little feller groaned beneath its weight, and in the hot sun he wiped sweat from his wrinkled forehead and looked across the valley to the next mountain over, which was a fair piece to walk for a person and an awful long stretch for a dwarf. Troublesome followed his gaze and saw what a hack it would be, but she had not better to do that morning, so she said, You know, it happens I was walking that direction which weren't true at all, as she had no intention of going that far. But Troublesome frequently cozied words, and no sooner was they out of her mouth than they was the blessed truth in her own mind. And if you would prefer for me to carry that sack for you, it don't look so very heavy. Now the dwarf's yellow eyes lit up, but then they narrowed with suspicion. Why would you do that for me? he asked. Where is your cider? Troublesome laughed, making the crows take flight. "'Ain't no cider in it for me, Mr. Dwarf. "'I just thought I'd do a neighborly thing. "'But if you'd rather carry them rocks your own self, "'then good day to thee.' "'And she curtsied and walked on down the trail. "'Wait!' cried the dwarf, huffing and puffing. "'He hurried after her. "'Would I be much obliged to you, Missy? "'But first I make two requests of you.' "'All right,' said Troublesome. "'Her wicked eyes flashed with amusement.' thinking this hill dwarf was mighty demanded for someone receiving a favor. First, said the dwarf, "'must you not open the sack or look inside?' "'I don't feature what's so special about a sack of rocks,' said Troublesome. "'But all right. And what's your second request, Mr. Dwarf?' "'When hand you the sack over to my kin living in the next mountain over,' said the dwarf, "'might they offer you a gift? But mustn't you take it?' Troublesome put her hands on her hips. And why is that? Not that I was looking for gifts, seeing as how I was just offering to be neighborly in the first place, but what's it to you if I accept a gift? The dwarf's beady yellow eyes fixed on Troublesome as he grinned a snaggletooth grin. Do not you know that a gift be a bounden obligation? As our folks say, a gift is a debt painted as a bauble. Humph, said Troublesome. To be fair, most folk can't make sense of Hill Dwarf's sayings. 
So she shrugged her shoulders and said, Very well, Mr. Dwarf. Hand that sack over and I'll tote it for you and not look inside and accept no gifts. But you'll remember I've done you a favor. Whatever else troublesome might be, she weren't stupid. The hill dwarf only hesitated another moment before looking up at that hot, hot sun that had crossed the valley that long, long way. Then he handed the sack of rocks to Troublesome. "'Be off with you, then,' he said, without a word of thanks. But Troublesome didn't take no offense, because she knew hill dwarfs considered thank you a kind of debt as well. She walked off down the trail, and that sack of rocks was heavy, but she waved her wand and cast a featherweight charm, and then it rested as light on her shoulders as a sack of feathers. Laughing, she said, "'Silly dwarfs!' and continued on her way. Well, it was a hot day, and even with a featherweight charm, that sack was a weight upon her shoulders. Soon Troublesome's bonnet was wilted on her head, and her dress clung draggly to her, and her feet were sore. So when she stopped to rest, she sat down the sack and looked at it, wondering just what was so special about a sack of rocks. Well, I'm sure it won't surprise you none that she opened that sack right up to look inside. And what do you suppose she saw? Them rocks was great big chunks of solid gold, each one bigger in her fist. Here she was carrying a pharaoh's fortune on her shoulders. Rocks indeed, Troublesome said. She lifted one out and hefted it in her hand and thought about all the dresses and baubles and beautiful bonnets she could buy with just one of them nuggets. A flutewood carriage pulled by winged horses, a yard full of winged goats and a great blue ox, a singing well in an old world mansion, all those things she could buy. Why, I could leave the hollers and go live like a queen amongst the colonials, she thought, and have house self-servants bringing me truffles and meat pies and fancies I ain't never even imagined. And wouldn't no one call her wicked and scandalous, and might could be there'd be a boy who'd court her. Oh, yes, I'll wager bows would come a-courting in droves when I'm as rich as the Queen of Sheba, she laughed. She held that chunk of gold in her hands a long, long time before she put it back, and then she hefted the sack and continued her hike, thinking hard all the way. Oh, she saw sugar plums and bonnets and other play pretties all the way across that valley, but whilst there's many things troublesome's been called, she ain't often been called a thief. So the gold weighed on her mind heavier than it weighed on her shoulders, but she brung it to the next mountain over without slipping one of them gold nuggets out of the sack. Well, when she arrived, another hill dwarf emerged from a cave and greeted her with some surprise and not terrible pleased. How came you by that sack? he asked. I was given it by one of your folk on the next mountain yonder, Troublesome said, jerking her thumb back the way she come. I offered to tote it here, so here I am. Mighty kind of you, said the hill dwarf. And did you by chance look inside the sack? I did not, said Troublesome, the lie passing easily twixt that shameless girl's lips. And did you by chance touch anything inside the sack? asked the hill dwarf. I did not, said Troublesome, with a mouth that wouldn't melt butter. Well, the hill dwarf took the sack from her, and without a thank he or another word, he opened it and looked inside, suspicious-like, snuffling about, and Troublesome wondered if baby dwarves could smell when human hands had touched their gold. Finally, the dwarf looked up and smiled at her. 
Be we obliged to you for delivering this to us, I reckon, the dwarf said. Oh no, said Troublesome, while visions of gold danced before her greedy eyes. I was just being neighborly. Just so, said the dwarf. But come back in a month and we will return the favor. With that, the dwarf dragged the sack back underground with him, leaving Troublesome standing outside in the hot sun, as draggled a sight as ever you saw, with blistered feet and her dress stuck to her like she done foiled a stream, and not a single nugget of gold for her trouble. Well, she said, putting her hands on her hips, that's what I get for being neighborly. But she come back a month later, both curious and greedy, wondering what favor she might be proffered, and there was the same hill dwarf she seen before, or maybe it was a different one, since truth be told, they all look pretty much alike. But she come up the hill to the same cave where she brought the sack of gold, and the hill dwarf says to her, Good morning, Miss Troublesome. Now, first of all, Troublesome noticed that it was a fine sunny day, and the dwarf didn't complain about the sun like the other dwarf had. And second, she noticed that he called her by name. But she didn't give that no never mind, and merely said, Good morning, Mr. Dwarf, right back. You told me to come back in a month, and here I am. Indeed, said the dwarf, and have we made a present to give to you. Now, Troublesome remembered what she'd been told about septin gifts from the hill dwarfs. But to her way of thinking, it weren't a gift, but a kind of payment. She reckoned she'd done him a favor, and now the ends was just returning it. So she said, all innocent, why, whatever for, Mr. Dwarf? The dwarf, he smiled, and maybe she ought to have minded how shivery that smile was. He held up a thin chain made of pure gold and said, Seeing as how you carried all that gold, for was it indeed gold in that sack, across the valley for us, and didn't help yourself to any of it, we are of a mind to give you a little token of our appreciation. Well, it certainly weren't no nugget of gold bigger than her fist, but it weren't nothing neither, so Troublesome said, As mighty kind of you, Mr. Dwarf, and she only hesitated a moment, more fool her, before taking that chain and holding it up to admire it. Would it look mighty fine round your neck, said the dwarf, and Troublesome agreed that it would. It was an unbroken circle with no clasp or hook, so she had to take off her bonnet and pull it down over her head, but she weren't shamed to do that, and soon she had laid that strand of gold against her neck, and no sooner than she did but it squeezed her windpipe and bit her skin and commenced choking her. Foolish girl, said the dwarf, did you think we wouldn't know that you opened our sack and handled our gold? Troublesome could feel that cursed gold chain strangling her, but she gasped, I didn't take nothing, but you touched our gold, and what you touched we cannot use. That be a debt you owe us, and must that debt be paid. I'll pay, I'll pay, cried Troublesome. With that, the chain pulled tight and vanished. Troublesome gagged and ran a hand over her throat and felt no trace of the gold chain. It was as if it had sunk into her flesh and disappeared. Some day, said the hill dwarf, would you give us back that gold, and your debt will be paid. But until then, will your kin pay it? Never will your people leave this world until you bring enough gold for every one of you crossers, and repay us for all the gold you touched. Only can you go to a world away, no one else, until all debts are settled. And that's why we have never been able to leave this world, because until Troublesome pays her debt, our debts, 
winds can never go to the world away. Only troublesome can open the way. Alexandra waited a moment while the grannies all watched her. When she realized the story was finished, she tried to outweigh the grannies. But beneath the gazes of all those old women, with a collective weight of centuries, she scuffed her toe in the dirt, bit her lip, and squirmed in place, until she broke and spoke first. So troublesome touched some gold, which ticked off the hill dwarfs and indebted herself and all those archers to them? So the story goes, said Granny Morrison. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Why couldn't they use gold just because she touched it? What do they want to use it for, and what does it have to do with you all going to a world away? Is the gold supposed to be a metaphor for something? Or is this one of those parables where there's a secret meaning hidden in the tale? Ain't she clever, said Granny Sawyer with a patronizing tone. What does any of that have to do with me, Alexandra demanded. If this troublesome screwed up, go ask her to fix it. I'm not your folk character. You are troublesome, said Granny Ford. Her voice ancient and creaking, still carried more power than any of the others. You are some other troublesome. It's you who will open the world away. If the tales are true, which they may not be, after all, they are just nursery rhymes. Her tone was as dry as her parchment skin. You don't actually think I know how to get to the world away, do you? Alexandra asked. Of course you don't, said Granny Pritchard. But depending on where your adventures lead you, you may find your way there. And I guess I'm supposed to pick up a pile of gold along the way to repay the debt that Troublesome owes? Alexandra's anger grew. How? Why would I even want to go there? I don't want to leave this world behind, and I don't understand how you expect me to find this other world, this world away, this place no other wizard or all you wise grannies with all your secret magic can get to. Why don't you ask my father? If anyone could travel to a world away, he could. If anyone could, he could, agreed Granny Ford. But I rather think he can't. That could be he's trying, but it's his daughter, the eighth child, who's like as not to find the way. Alexandra drew a breath. You still haven't explained why me. Why should I be troublesome? Why well, doesn't one stolt matter being as you are troublesome, said Granny Ford, her eyes now glittering like pools of deep, dark water. Alexandra shivered a little, but clenched her fists and mentally dug in her heels. Here's a why that matters, she said. Why should I help you? Why should I do anything for any of you? Constance and forbearance and innocence are my friends. If they want to go to a world away, well, I'll help them if I can. Not that I have any idea how I'm going to lead you Ozarkers to another world. But if they don't want to go, then as far as I'm concerned, you can all just stay here and keep griping about how wicked the Confederation is. Because this is the world I'm living in, and I'm not planning to run away to another one. You want to leave this world? Find your own way. Three of the grannies reared back or gasped, affronted. Granny Ford continued staring at Alexandra impassively, while Granny Pritchard folded her arms and asked calmly, Why are you so angry, child? Because you manipulated me, Alexandra said. You want to use me, just like my father did, just like everyone has, just about every adult I've known. Have any of you offered to help me? I guess Constance and Forbearance told you I'm supposed to have only six years to live. I already owe a debt, so I don't need to be paying anyone else's. The grannies looked at each other. More unspoken communication passed between them, but they seemed more unsettled. She wondered if they felt guilty about setting up some foreign witch to be there troublesome. One granny leaned in close and whispered something in Granny Ford's ear. Granny Ford nodded. Aye, she croaked. 
Then another granny leaned in to whisper in her other ear. Granny Fawn shook her head. No. Granny Pritchard leaned forward. Alexandra couldn't make out the whispering that passed between them. If we could lift your gears, we would, said Granny Ford. Well, thanks anyway, Alexandra said, not hiding her bitterness. Granny Ford held up a gnarled hand. That don't mean there might not be a way to escape it, she said. Troublesome's tales is full of her escaping as many snares as she sets foot into. Great, I'd love to listen to more folk tales, Alexandra said. Mind your tongue, snapped Granny Morrison. You are the rudest, most anger-provoking, vexatious witch. I'm troublesome, aren't I supposed to be? You might just find your tongue tied in knots if you don't learn a little respect, said Granny Sawyer. Is there anything else you want from us? Granny Pritchard asked. Alexandra took a few deep breaths to settle her anger and bite back the retort she wanted to throw at Granny Sawyer. Then she said, Constance and forbearance told me that wands need to kin to their owners. That's so, said Granny Pritchard. My wand, the one that was kenned to me, was broken. I have a new one, but it doesn't seem to like me very much. Alexandra spoke with less anger now. Is there a way with your wand lore that you can make it ken to me? Probably not, said Granny Pritchard. But let me see it. Alexandra drew the yew wand from the sleeve of her robe. She held it a moment, reluctant to turn it over to someone else, even if it didn't feel quite right to her, then offered it to Granny Pritchard. While Constance and Forbearance's great-grandmother held it up and turned it over in her hands, all the other grannies scrutinized it, their heads leaning forward as they made humming and harumphing sounds. "'You,' said Granny Pritchard, "'I cannot quite be sure of the core. It ain't entirely familiar.' She frowned. "'This is one dreadful wand and a mighty fine piece of work, but it ain't exactly to you at all. How came you by this wand, Miss Quick?' "'It was given to me,' Alexandra said. "'I see.' Granny Pritchard didn't press the point. With much trial and vexation you might master it to your will, but it will never truly serve you. You did not take it from its previous owner, did you? No, Alexandra said. I'm not a thief. But how did Medea acquire it, she wondered. Well, Granny Pritchard said, well. She folded her arms and thought deeply for a bit. None of the other grannies said anything. Granny Pritchard looked up and met Alexandra's eyes. I will make you a wand. Alexandra remembered how reverently Constance and Forbearance spoke of their great-grandmother and her wand-crafting. Supposedly, Granny Pritchard's own mother had been one of the best wand-crafters ever among the Ozarkers, and Alexandra was sure that for an Ozarker to make a wand for a non-Ozarker was no trivial boon. "'What do you want in return?' she asked. Granny Pritchard sighed and laid a hand against Alexandra's cheek. It was dry and warm, and softer than Alexandra expected. "'I will not deny you have been ill-used.' she said. I can see how you might feature you've been ill-used by us, but winds are not set against you, child, and you are beloved by my great-granddaughters, and you saved my innocence. This is a gift, with no hidden strings. It ain't a snare I'm fixing to put round your neck. Alexandra swallowed and nodded. But there is a catch, Granny Pritchard said. I knew it, Alexandra thought, but she just said, What? A wand for you crafted by me, has to be special and unique, Granny Pritchard said. We as canters go out to the woods and cut a branch, and I don't keep dragon guts and thestral hair in my cupboards. I hate no Grundy's department store, nor a wand shop with boxes and boxes of wands waiting for the rat witch or wizard to come along. The process of crafting a wand special is a mystery. And for you, Miss Alexandra Troublesome Quick, 
The wand of your choosing must be crafted of materials obtained in only the fit and proper way. And how's that? Alexandra asked. Granny Pritchard smiled. Why, you will have to go on a quest, of course. End of chapter 12. For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit samgabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benighoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>